Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Welcome to a special broadcast edition of Real Talk uh, coming to you live at uh, 345 Mountain, 545 Eastern, as we welcome the Prime Minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau, uh, making his real doc, uh, his real talk debut today. Prime Minister, welcome to the show and thanks for making time for us. Oh, no, it's a pleasure to be here, Ryan. It's great to chat with you. Well, I want to get right into it. A jury after 10 hours of deliberation will, of course, talk about the federal budget in just a moment. Uh, has convicted former uh, Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin on two counts of murder, one count of manslaughter in the killing of George Floyd. I'm curious to know how the death of Mr. Floyd, uh, the death of Breonna Taylor uh, and, and other black Americans, black Canadians, subsequent Black Lives Matter demonstrations, including here in Canada, have impacted your perspective as prime minister. Oh, well, I think, uh, first of all, it's, uh, it, it is good news uh, that uh, we saw the verdict come through uh, where uh, people hoped it would, uh, but it still underlines that there's an awful lot of work to do. And, and what we saw over the course of last year with a, a sudden uh, awareness by everyone of what racialized Canadians and, and racialized people across, uh, uh, across and around the world had known for far too long that disc- uh, systemic discrimination continues, uh, uh, the, the microaggressions, the overt racism, uh, the challenges within our institutions and uh, within our daily lives that exist need to be addressed. I think there is a, a huge momentum uh, on, on you know, transforming our, our societies in ways that are fairer and more inclusive for everyone. I think this was a, a real wake-up call uh, for a lot of people uh, a year ago. Uh, Prime Minister, I've received hundreds of uh, suggested questions from audience members of ours upon confirmation of you being here on the show. I wanted to get right into this from Heidi, who is a a fierce child care advocate. She's appeared on our program before. Of course, your government has committed about $30 billion over the next five years and then $8 billion a year uh, subsequent to that on developing a national affordable child care plan that requires the cooperation of the provinces. Heidi says, I'm confident that the feds know what's necessary to make an effective subsidized child care program. They have a task force with some of the smartest women in Canada. But I'm completely dejected knowing that a province like B.C. that's already pushing for $10 a day child care will simply speed up their ambitious plan, while a province like Alberta will surely give money directly to parents without a second thought toward building a quality program. How will the federal government respect child care as a provincial jurisdiction but attach strings to the funding? to ensure that it's spent on quality programming, fair wages, and affordable childcare. Uh, Ryan and, and Heidi, that is exactly the question that we have spent uh, the last many, many months wrestling with. Uh, we have very, very clear uh, targets around uh, affordability, around quality, around training of early childhood ed- educators that are going to be requirements to the bilateral agreements that will be signed uh, by the provinces who want to move forward on this. Uh, We recognize that the provinces have jurisdiction uh, over issues like this and nobody can force them, or sorry, the federal government can't force them to do something they don't want to do. But it is so obvious from Quebec's example and from examples uh, elsewhere around the world that going properly and strongly on real childcare supports is not just the the moral thing or the right thing or the fair thing or the equality thing. It's also the smart economic 
play as well. And that that push and that uh, you know requirement that this be uh, real movement on childcare and not just uh, uh, and not not anything else uh, is going to be built into those negotiations. Uh, provinces that agree to step up in real ways on childcare uh, will uh, move forward on agreements. Uh, those who aren't interested, uh, well, um, there's nothing we can do to force them to do it, but they won't be getting uh, the resources that'll come through a bilateral deal uh, to move forward on childcare, there's been much talk over this past year about the opportunity for a great reset. Depending on who you talk to, it means different things. But but I think many Canadians thought that this might be an opportunity to introduce a universal basic income and a national pharmacare plan. Why didn't you? Uh, I think the the need for a, a focus on jobs and growth to get out of this COVID uh, recession uh, came first and foremost. Uh, we we have invested massively uh, to support workers, to support retraining, uh, to support small businesses, uh, to to support various industries, so we can get our economy growing again right across the country. We know uh, Alberta, for example, has been really hard hit both with uh, global oil prices. Uh, COVID uh, with you know real challenges there. Uh, we know that investing in growth, we invest investing in jobs, investing in supports, whether it be through things like CCUS uh, or hydrogen strategies or or AI, which Edmonton is the center for. Like we know that making the choices around growth first and foremost will allow us to do more. At the same time, we've done a lot for vulnerable Canadians, and we will continue to. Let me ask you about uh, carbon capture and, and some of the investments there. I know that, you know, the, the budget includes those tax incentives. I've talked to some pundits this morning that were encouraged by that. Um, it's something that the industri- industrial heartland mayors have been calling for, as you know, uh, and promoting as part of their energy transition strategy. How do you reconcile those types of green initiatives uh, with some of the other traditional energy projects that we're seeing here in Alberta right now, including expansion of, of coal Uh, mining in the Canadian Rockies on the eastern slopes. Does that concern you, uh, especially in the context of water as the prime minister? Well, I, first of all, in the context of water, one of the things that I'm I'm quite pleased about that won't mean a lot to to many people, but we're we're bringing back the Prairie Farm uh, uh, recon- uh, the Prairie Farm Rehabilitation Agency, the PFRA, uh, that Stephen Harper cut a number of years ago. We need a Canadian water agency that is focused on the prairies and water management, and uh, that's a, a little piece in the budget that I'm I'm quite pleased with. Uh, but in general, we see the way the world is going. We see that uh, international uh, pension funds and and uh, capital markets uh, are very, very careful about where they're going to be investing because we need to move towards decarbonization and transformation of our energy economy, our energy mix. And the fact is that Albertans have always been extraordinarily innovative and capable in, in uh, the way they have developed solutions. We need uh, you know, all the ingenuity and know-how and forward thinking uh, of Albertans in the energy sector to be thinking about what the next 10 years are going to bring, what the next 30 years are going to bring. And these investments and this movement towards uh, a, a transformed approach to, uh, to to climate and to environment uh, is one that is getting echo in investments and in job growth right across, uh, right around the world. Prime Minister, there are some signs, uh, some encouraging signs of economic recovery uh, in Canada. This budget certainly extends many of the supports available to individuals and available to businesses. When it comes to those grants and those subsidies and those supports, how do you gauge uh, when it's time to take your foot off the gas and let businesses make a go of it again on their own? 
Well, I think, first of all, recognizing that those supports we gave that were incredibly you know, present and, and according to some too generous, actually worked. We have seen uh, through these past very, very difficult uh, 12 months uh, that companies and small businesses and workers and families have been able to hang on and have done better than many of our our fellow countries around the world that weren't able to invest uh, as much in supporting. And that means we're going to punch through this COVID recession faster than many others. And it, it is it is something we're looking at very, very carefully. We've extended the COVID supports uh, until September for uh, for businesses, for for many uh, many people. But at the same time, they are, are naturally scaled. So uh, as, for example, businesses start doing better and better, they don't need the wage subsidy to the same degree. They're actually going to get a hiring credit to uh, to bring on more people because that's what we want to get as people get back to work. It's all calibrated to be able to adjust to the pace of things going. We know, for example, this third wave is hitting really hard in some parts of the country, like Alberta right now. We're really worried that we're able to hang on and get through this because vaccines are coming. We know the summer is going to be better, but uh, hanging in there right now and doing the right things to stay, uh, you know, closed and stay shut down a little bit longer, uh, as frustrating as it is, uh, is going to allow us to simply, you know, you know, bounce back quicker uh, than if we let everything collapse. Uh, India reporting about 250,000 new cases of COVID-19 this week alone. And a lot of Canadians are calling for you to, to essentially shut down Canadian airports to international arrivals, uh, maybe with the exception of Canadian citizens returning home. Why have you not taken that step to this point? And are you considering more drastic travel restrictions? We're always looking to do more based on the science, based on the need to keep Canadians safe. But I I, want to remind people that uh, from last March, a year ago, we brought in some of the toughest measures in the world. That two week quarantine that we sort of understand as being the base level necessary. A lot of countries didn't do that, didn't do that for a long while. And then when the variants started uh, appearing around uh, around the beginning of the new year, uh, we took extra measures with a pre pre-departure test necessary, uh, and now an arrival test, and now a government-approved accommodation uh, waiting time uh, until your test comes back negative once you've landed, uh, and far more checks on the two-week quarantine uh, so that it's enforced. Like We have some of the strongest measures that mean uh, that the importation of cases and the spread from, uh, from overseas travelers is minimal. Now, it's not zero, so we need to continue to be vigilant. And I've asked people to take a look at uh, what more we can do. But I think people need to know already uh, that we have some of the toughest measures in the world. Uh, Prime Minister, the budget being described, uh, I think, by some as maybe more of an election platform than, than anything. Would you Are you prepared to confirm or rule out an election by the end of this calendar year? It's it's amazing to me that people can look at a budget that is focused on supporting people both in the short term and building for the longer term uh, and say, oh, it's just about an election. No, it's not about an election. It's about giving people the support they need. It's about getting that balance right between being there right now for people while they continue to need supports through COVID uh, to helping our businesses bounce back from this recession and also 
putting in place uh, the pathway to be even more prosperous, even more economic opportunities for everyone in the coming months. That's the job of a government to do, particularly on the way out of a crisis. We saw in the 2008 crisis that the government at the time pulled back supports too quickly, and therefore the impact of the 2008 recession lingered much longer, particularly amongst vulnerable groups, than it should have. We're not making that mistake. We're making sure that those supports are there for people. And and I am happy to have conversations about why uh, this is the right path. We know uh, the Conservatives think we've spent too much. Uh, We shouldn't spend as much on Canadians. Uh, I disagree because I think supporting Canadians is not just the right thing to do, it's the thing that makes sense so that everyone, including those innovative Albertan oil workers and otherwise, are going to be able to contribute to building this better future. OK, so you won't rule out an election by the end of the year, though, correct? We're in a minority government right now. Uh, I, I am focused on this pandemic. I'm focused on getting through this pandemic. Uh, it'll be up to Parliament to decide when the uh, when the election is. Good stuff. Uh, Prime Minister, let me ask you this. It's no secret that there's no love lost between you and Alberta's Premier, uh, Jason Kenney. Right now, numbers show some numbers that you're actually more popular in Alberta right now than he is. Um, can you shed some light on what appears to be, at least from, from the Premier's end, one of the more adversarial political relationships in Canada, considering that Albertans need to have a confidence uh, that the two levels of government can work together on things like affordable child care, orphan wells, and, and so many other things, vaccines among them? I think that we've demonstrated from the federal side that we are there to work uh, with Albertans. We're there to work with provincial and territorial governments right across the country. Uh, no, we're not going to agree on everything. Canadians don't expect us to agree on everything, uh, but they do expect us to work together. And that's why uh, we have consistently been there. We've consistently supported. We move forward. You mentioned those orphan wells, for example. I mean, that was something about uh, giving fairness and respect to landowners who were feeling uh, very much, uh, uh, you know, vulnerable because of that, that that problem. And we were glad that we we're able to move forward on investments that both create jobs and protect the environment at the same time. And doing those kinds of things uh, with the provincial government make a big difference. And I'm always going to look for ways to uh, to, to to support. Prime Minister, I think that there was optimism on the part of a lot of Canadians, including some families in southern Alberta, that a change in the Oval Office might mean a change in the fortunes of the two Michaels, of Michael Covering and Michael Spavor. Uh, When can their families expect those two to come home? Uh, We are working incredibly hard on that and have been from the very beginning. Uh, The the cooperation and the support from the American administration that has uh, understood that this is very much something that uh, they have a key role to play in and and are you know, responsible for, uh, at least in part for where we are today, uh, means that we're uh, continuing to be hopeful uh, that we're going to get resolution. Uh, but, uh, you know, with with the, the, the Chinese government, with the way they're approaching coercive diplomacy and uh, uh, and just their 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 general approach, um, you know, we're we're continuing to put the pressure on and uh, hoping to be able to resolve it. Interesting question here from Fatima, uh, one of our audience members, wonders if you've seen, I'm sure you have, uh, the string of attacks uh, in here in Edmonton included uh, targeting hijabi women, uh, tiki torch rallies, the rise of right ring rhetoric in Alberta. She wonders if it concerns you, and uh, I'm assuming it does. How does the federal government propose to address hate in the current political climate? 
it, it concerns me deeply, and and it it is a reminder, uh, not just what's happening in it would happen in Alberta, but elsewhere across the country that we're not immune to the kinds of things that we see uh, elsewhere around the world, including in the United States, and we have to stay vigilant. But if there's anything that COVID has shown us, it's that uh, leaning on each other, being there for each other, supporting each other is the only way through it. And as we look at the impacts of this uh, pandemic particularly on women, on young people, on racialized Canadians. These are the things that we need to uh, do even more on. So we've got uh, measures moving forward on accountability for hate on the internet, uh, uh, you know, consequences for internet service providers and, and companies that uh, allow for that in the platforms. We've also moved forward to doing things like uh, like uh, the, the Canadian security agencies have, have uh, listed the Proud Boys as a terrorist organization. And there's uh, many more things we're doing around pushing back against uh, radicalization to violence and uh, extremism that uh, that we need to stay vigilant on we're we're gonna we're gonna keep working on that whether it's uh, anti-black racism whether it's anti-asian racism whether it's uh, misogyny uh, there is a lot of uh, a lot of anger a lot of anxiety, a lot of polarization, a lot of things, a lot of increase in domestic violence brought on by the pressures of, of COVID and the situation people have been living in over the past while. As a society, we need to heal, we need to pull together, uh, and we need to make sure all of us are stepping up to be better allies. In closing, I, I probably don't have to tell the Prime Minister that legalized cannabis, that today is 420, uh, two and a half years into legalization. How would you characterize the impact that it's had on Canadian society and and what would you qualify as work that remains to be done on that file? Well, I, I don't know what it says, Ryan, about you, but I've had a day full of briefings and press conferences and a question period, and nobody has brought that up before you did. So I, I wasn't even aware. <laughs> well, that I'm happy to help, today. Prime Minister. <laughs> I, I, I swear to God, what does that say? Um, listen, I, I think uh, it was a decision based on evidence. Uh, it was uh, recognizing that our current approach uh, didn't work uh, in past years and being willing to, to make changes, even though we knew that would open ourselves up to uh, to vicious political attacks. Uh, it turned out that uh, the sky didn't fall, uh, that it was a, a reasonable path forward. There's lots more to do uh, about, particularly on the opioids epidemic in terms of keeping people safe. And uh, we're looking for intelligent uh, uh, drug policy as we move forward. Uh, we've made investments in the opioids epidemic and uh, greater uh, consumption sites, safe consumption sites and issues like that. Um, but I think it's an example of, of something where people were going, oh my God, you can't do that. You can't do that. And then we did it. And we went, okay, so you did it. So we, we move on. Um, I think whether you're talking about climate change, whether you're talking about medical assistance and dying, whether you're talking about, you know, many of the big contentious issues uh, Canadians have shown themselves to be remarkably reasonable uh, once you do something that is the right thing based uh, on science and evidence and reasonableness. People say, OK, sounds good. Let's uh, let's make it work and move on to the next thing. Prime Minister, thanks for doing this. We appreciate your time. No, it's a real pleasure, Ryan. Uh, take care. And I know uh, uh, Alberta is going through a really tough third wave right now. Uh, please know that the federal government is there uh, to be supportive. Uh, we have resources. Uh, we're going to try and make sure that uh, we're, uh, we're supporting you as best we can. And of course, we're going to continue to get as many vaccines into this country as quickly as possible. The Right Honourable Justin Trudeau, Prime Minister of Canada. Thanks, Prime Minister. Again, we'll be back at it tomorrow morning, live at 830 Mountain, 1030 Eastern. 
Iron will review what we've just heard from the PM and, of course, dig into other elements of that budget released yesterday by Finance Minister Christian Freeland. You can find more of our interviews like this on our YouTube channel. And, of course, we encourage you to subscribe to our podcast. And you can tune in live every morning at RyanJesperson.com. Thanks for making time for this, and we'll talk to you soon. The gun away.